Welcome to the shit show. Hello, my squirrel friends. So today it is I, Cassandra, aka Witchy Pity Mom, and with me is Kate. Say hi, Kate. Hi. And Kate, where can you be found on socials? Um, Facebook and Instagram is Crafts Confections and Creativity by Kate, and Amazon is uh, Amazon. Hello, words are hard today. I don't know where Amazon came from. <laughs> I have no TikTok idea. TikTok is Anna of the Undead. <clears throat> so we're going to start doing things a little differently. Um, so I'm taking my inspiration from the Morbid podcast. Uh, like instead of having both Kate and I do one specific thing at a time, like I'll do one and then she'll do one and we'll kind of like chime in and whatever. Um, I have to say, even though it is only Tuesday, this, this week already feels hella long. Girl, you are not wrong. <laughs> like I, today, I feel like it is the Mondayest of Tuesdays. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what's happening. I know, I know that uh, while I'm now in my third week of my internship, I am still struggling because I just, I'm not a morning person. And high school kids are not for you. No. And I'm going to tell you why. <clears throat> so since we've recorded, there have been two instances of TikTok trends happening in the school that just are blowing my mind. Um, apparently there's this TikTok trend that like destroying school property is cool. Um... And so Friday and yesterday, we had students ripping out toilets. And I just... Can't. I just don't understand it. <laughs> I, I don't understand it either, to be honest with you. Like, I I even posted one on, on TikTok and I was like, someone please explain this to me because, like, I am... I'm well, in my loss. mind, I'd be like, I really feel like, do you want to go back to being supervised when you go to the bathroom like we do in kindergarten to make sure everybody hits it in the toilet correctly? Is that what you want? Because that's what you're going to get. Right. Like, I feel like I just I don't understand, like, why these kids think it's OK. And then they get mad when you're like, yeah, you're suspended. Right. Well, why? Because uh, 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 uh. you destroyed school property, sir. Shut your face. Right. Like, it's not that hard to understand. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <sighs> so now the person that I'm doing today, I have a, a weird fascination with him. And I, I wish, I wish that I could explain it. Tight. <laughs> we all got our quirks. Because there is no reason why I should like this person. <laughs> like at all. <laughs> uh, and so. Every I'm, girl's first boyfriend ever. Right. Uh. So this guy, I trigger warning, we're going to be talking about necrophilia, rape, cannibalism, the whole shebang. He is not for the faint of heart. So if you skip this episode, I won't be sad. Um, so the person that we're going to talk about today is Edmund Emil Kemper, a.k.a. Ed Kemper. Uh, he was known as the co-ed killer or the co-ed butcher. Um, <clears throat> now he was a an american necrophiliac if a i can never say this the fact that we have to say american necrophiliac just makes me really sad for like the entire human race <laughs> yeah that's true um maybe you can help me out with this word i i tried pronouncing it when i was practicing this and i still can't get it it's e-p-h-e-b-o-p-h-i-l-i-c <laughs> Kate's like what? <laughs> I'm gonna see if I can right. Google it and I have it be phonetically. No, of course it's not. But come on, uh, now when do we ever get lucky enough for somebody to have it be? Phonetic? Basically, it's what it means. The fo the is a sexual interest to mid to late adolescence is what it is. Um. He was also a cannibal and he was kind of like a spree killer and he was active in the seventies, but his, a lot of the reason why I think he got away with it for as long as he did is because, um, his murders were coinciding with another California serial killer, um, a Herbert Mullen. 
hey, that's how you do it. That's how you don't get caught. Well, and I also think that because it was in California, I California police officers in the 70s and 80s, man. Like <laughs> California dreaming. Nah, it's California killing because the cops don't care. Exactly. And you're going to find out in this one, like, it's no better. Like, no better. So we'll start off with his background. So Ed, I'm just going to call him Ed because Edmund just like it. I don't know. Um, he was born on December 18th, 1948 in Burbank, California. And he had a very like troubling behavior from an early age. Um, and a very tumultuous childhood. Like, so his mom, Clarnell, which I think is an awful name for a woman, uh, was an alcoholic who they think suffered from borderline personality disorder. Um, and she was married to Edmund Emil Kemper II, uh, and he was a World War II veteran. And to kind of get an, like, an idea of like this woman's behavior, her husband once said, and this is, this is rough, suicide missions in wartime and the later atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell. So. <laughs> the fuck? that he said that about his wife so i can like i can only imagine like the stuff that they that she put them through you know what i mean like for him to say that um now ed had a very difficult relationship with his mom because she was always very critical of him and like she was always blaming him for her problems um Clarnell also regularly berated Ed's father for his quote-unquote menial job as an electrician. Now, I'm sorry, but from my understanding, even in the 70s, electricians made bank. So, like, I'm confused about that because I'm just like, what? Um, Clarnell was also reported to refuse to coddle Ed because she was a fear it would turn him gay, quote unquote. Uh, oh, let me just flip on the gay switch for the day. Right. Like, I, I feel like, ma'am, that's how you think you're going to your kid's going to be gay because you coddled him. Really? OK. Um, so because of this environment that he was in, Ed started to develop like very dark fantasies. Um, and because of these, uh, because of these dark fantasies, he started decapitating his sister's dolls. Uh, yeah. Okay. To be fair. Um, I didn't like dolls and I used to destroy Barbies, but I'm, okay. I'm not, not going to well, do it with a serial killer. Right. But g here's the quote that he later said about Cause remember I said, well, you guys don't know, but I told Kate that there, I had so much information to work with because Ed is so good about working with the cops <laughs> and were, and being interviewed that there's so much information on him. I read like two books, a bunch of articles, watched a few videos, like, ah. So in one of his video, one of his interviews about talking about his decapitating his doll, sister's dolls, he said, I remember there was actually a sexual thrill when you hear that little pop and pull their heads off and hold them up by the hair whipping their heads off their body sitting there that would get me off <laughs> that's who we're working with and for some reason i am completely fascinated <laughs> like he was not he was not a good guy like at all um, like that's just disgusting. Like yeah, why? exactly. And then like, and this he was he was around like it was around like age ten that this was going on, right? Um, he also used to make his sisters play really disturbing games like the electric chair and gas chamber. Okay, and the root of this game was Kemper had his sisters pretend to march him to his death, like. Like he already knew what was what was gonna happen with his life. So, like, I'm sorry. Why did his sisters not like? Hmm, this is kind of fucking weird. Well, I just don't want to know why they didn't 
why they why they continue to play with him after that you know what I mean like uh, yeah that's um, um so as he got older his dark fantasy started to turn into like real violence and he even stalked his second grade teacher with while carrying his father's bayonet um and when his sister Susan teased him about wanting to kiss the teacher Kemper coldly responded if I kiss her I'd have to kill her first like what <laughs> like I just I, I can't I can't I okay can't. yeah now when he turned 10 Kemper's be- behavior really escalated his father left the family in 1957 and he killed both of the family's cats. Um, one of them he buried alive and then later decapitated it. He hurt the kitty. That's yes. nice. Yes, I'm, I'm. 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 I'm very upset with him about that. Um, so because Edmund Senior had left. Kemper's mom began to focus her aggression on him. She would make him sleep in the basement, claiming he might hurt her, hurt his sisters. And she would constantly like berate him and insult him and telling him stuff like no woman will ever fall in love with him. So, you know, Mm -hmm. she's creating a wonderful human being. And at the same time, at least it wasn't one of those weird, uh, like becomes like the, you know, like the monster-in-law that won't let her son go type person. I mean, neither is good, but. I know, but I feel like this woman, like, you know how, like, there's always that nature versus nurture debate? Yeah. I really think this one was a nature. I mean, a nurture. Like, I really think his mom... Now, he gets later diagnosed with some stuff that makes you go, okay, but I honestly think she turned him into this woman-hating monster. Right, like, he probably could have been okay with some, like, therapy to, like, deal with mommy issues. But the, unfortunately, that just wasn't the case. So yeah. at the age of 14, um, Ed had enough. He ran away from his mom's house to go live with his dad. Um, but at that point, his dad had remarried another woman. So he sent his son to live with his grandparents. Unfortunately for his grandparents, this would be their death sentence. Um, now, according to Ed. Two squeaks. Apparently that was my cat sneezing. <laughs> Uh, now, according to Ed, living on his grandparents' ranch was no better than living at home because his grandfather, Edmund the First, I guess, was senile. And he complained that his grandmother, Maud, was emasculating him. Um, Kemper even said, she thought she had more balls than any man and was constantly emasculating me and my grandfather to prove it. I mean, to be fair, women do have more balls. They had to be, they're so big that they had to put them on our chest. Facts. But like, I feel like this is just making Ed worse. Because if, and we, and I, and I wasn't able to find out if they were his paternal grandparents or his maternal grandparents, but I'm assuming they were his maternal grandparents because of how much Maude is like Clarnell. Well, and I want to know if he was, if it was actually emasculating or if it was just his, like, you know, fragile masculinity showing because of his mother. Maybe. Um, So after, you know, having numerous fights with his grandmother, Kemper said he started to have more and more anger issues. And he would say, I couldn't please her. It was like being in jail. I became a walking time bomb and I finally blew. Um, which is probably accurate. He probably was a ticking time bomb. Um, so um, on August 27th, 1964, Kemper got into another argument with Maud. Um, but this time he grabbed his grandfather's 22 caliber rifle and shot Maud in the head. Um then, as his grandfather walked up the driveway toward the house, Kemper shot him do too because both of you know, and now both of his grandparents are dead. 
Now, later he explains he killed Maude because he, quote unquote, just wanted to see what it felt like to be to kill grandma. Um, but Kemper did say that he killed his grandfather so he wouldn't have to find out that his wife had been murdered. Now, <laughs> I appreciate the sentiment, Ed, <laughs> but that's not that's not how it's supposed to go. Um, so after they were both dead, Edmund actually called Clarnell and said, you know, I killed them. And Clarnell was able to convince him to turn himself in. Um, and he was sent call her and tell her that, like, what did he think? Is that like a, I feel like, I feel like it was a, it was a help me mom. Like, I don't, I I just did this. I think that's like the. Uh, off of what I read, that seemed like the basis of the phone call. Like he was really calling her to be like, "What do I do?" And so she he was like, "Well, him. shit." <laughs> Wait. <laughs> she convinced him to turn himself in. So he did that, and he went to the criminally insane unit at the Ascadero State Prison. Now this is where Kemper fine-tunes himself, and like it just blows my mind what he got away with at this hospital. <laughs> like. I'm I'm shooketh. So while uh, at Ascadero, the California Youth Authority psychiatrists and social workers disagreed with the court psychiatrics or psychiatrist diagnoses. Um, they said that Kemper showed no flight of ideas, no interference with thought, no expression of delusions or hallucinations, and uh, no evidence of bizarre thinking. Because in, in court, they said that he was a schizophrenic, basically. Um, like, no, he's just a fucked up individual, guys. Like, right. not, not every fucked up person has to have a mental illness. Like, I promise you, most of them don't. They're just fucked. Well, honestly, I think if anything, he had a personality disorder right like if anything but it's like but i don't think it was is... i don't think it was schizophrenia yeah, um no. now they did say that they observed him to be very intelligent and introspective now his initial testing measured his iq at 136 which is over two standard deviations above average um so he was re-diagnosed with a less severe condition a personality trait disturbance passive aggressive type Uh, And later on during his time at Ascadero, Kemper was given another IQ test, which gave a higher result of 145. So Kemper is like stupid smart, stupid smart. And like he, his, I think that's why I'm so attracted to this whole case because like his intelligence is why he gets away with so much shit and how he can be so manipulative. So Kemper endeared himself to his psychologist, psychiatrist while at Ascadero to be like a model prisoner. And here's what gets me. Okay. And I, and I'm going to say this and I'm just going to give it a moment of silence was trained to administer psychiatric tests to other inmates. So he is, you know, that's smart. (laughs) He is in a criminally insane (laughs) hospital and he's trained to administer psychiatric tests to other inmates. What? So apparently one of his psychiatrists later said he was a very good worker and not the, t- and then this is not typical of a sociopath. He took real pride in his work. Kemper later said that the skills he learned during this period of his life helped him fool doctors and encouraged him to kill. He learned from rapists in the hospital that it is quote unquote smarter to kill women after you attack them. So there are no witnesses, a practice, which Kemper actually did do. Um, Kemper also became a member of the JCs while in Ascadero and said he developed quote unquote, some new tests and new scales on the Minnesota multiphasic personality inventory specifically an overt hostility scale during his work at with Ascadero psychiatrists. What? How to create a serial killer. Let him administer psychiatric testing to 
other inmates at the criminally insane hospital. And, and then they wonder, <laughs> like, are we trying to make like Harley Quinn here out of a man? Like, fuck, man. Well, and like, what I don't understand is they let him create and develop these new tests for the criminally insane. And I'm like, but he's criminally insane. <laughs> right. Like, um, maybe we don't let the crazy guy do things for the crazy guys. Um, so after he was arrested a second time, you know, after he committed the other murders, Kemper said that being able to understand how these tests functioned allowed him to manipulate psychiatrists and admitted that he had learned a lot from the sex offenders to whom he administered tests. For example, they told him that to avoid leaving witnesses, it is best to kill a woman after raping her. I mean, so his whole be, style was learned. Guy. I'm going to be this guy. I feel like that should be common sense. Like, if you don't want somebody to go to the police, you know. But, like, they were, what gets me is they were giving him advice that he actually later used. I know. That is like, true. how did they not think this through? Like, I just, I can't. Because he's not really a sociopath. Right. He's a good boy. So on December 18th, 1969, which was Kemper's 21st birthday, because we all know that Kemper is, what did we say? Did I think he is a Sagittarius, isn't he? I, I think for, so. Yeah. I think from our, see, I'm just going to go look at my notes because, you know, it's my show. No. Um, yep. He is. He's a Sagittarius. Maybe that's it. Maybe I, I, I my, the Sagittarius in me is seeing the Sagittarius in him. And I don't know. Anyway, um, so I can show uh, now, you the world. Now get this. This is what pisses me off. So against the recommendations of the psychiatrist at the hospital, he was released into the care of his mother, Clarnell. Hmm. Why? <laughs> because this ends up being her death sentence too. Like, <laughs> um, this is now, why we can't have nice things. Right. So when Kemper got out, Clarnell had actually remarried and taken the name Strandberg and then divorced again. So in the time he was locked up, she got married and got divorced. Um, now she lived in Aptos. I think that's how you say it. California, which was a short drive from where she worked as an administrative assistant at the University of California in Santa Cruz. Kemper later demonstrated further to his psychiatrist that he was rehabilitated and on November 29th, 1972, his juvenile records were permanently expunged. That means that when he goes to do a job, they won't ever see that he killed his fucking grandparents. Great. <laughs> now, I got to read you the last report from his probation psychiatrist because it just it just blows my mind. It says, if I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we are dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychiatric illnesses. It is my opinion that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psych psychiatric reason to consider him to be of any danger to himself or to any member of society. And since it, hold on. And since it may allow him more freedom as an adult to develop his potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expunction of his juvenile records. That's great. <laughs> Sir. <laughs> Sir. <laughs> like, I can't. Can't. So... Now, while staying with his mother, Kemper actually attended the community college in accordance with his parole requirements, and he had hoped to become a police officer. <laughs> Which I just find comical. Nothing, nothing wrong would nothing could go wrong there. Nothing could possibly go wrong with Edmund Kemper being a police officer. None. Yeah. That would be um, a great idea. Now, get this. <laughs> I can't. I, I can't make this up. So he was rejected because at the time of his release from Ascadero, Edmund stood at six feet, nine inches tall. 
So according to the police, he was too t- he was too tall and he was like 300 pounds. So he was too big to be a police officer. Like, which is, which blows my mind. Cause like, I know in Norfolk and I got to find it now because if I say it, I'm going to want to know what his name. That's like um, hilarious and also weird at the same time. So there's this police officer in Norfolk. Well, he was, um, he was, he's not there anymore. He was the world's, he was one of the world's tallest men. Um, one of the world's tallest, world's. Okay, here we go. George Bell. Okay, so let me just, so uh, you may not know who this is. I actually have a picture of this guy with my kids. George Bell was on this show called Freak Show, and he was actually on American Horror Story on the uh, season three. He was a really tall black guy. He was seven feet, eight inches tall. Okay. Wow. And he was a Norfolk police officer. So I don't understand how Edmund Kemper at 6'9 couldn't be a police officer, but I digress. So Ed actually maintained relationships with the Santa Cruz officers, despite his rejection to join the for- to force. And he became a self-described friendly nuisance at a bar called Jury Room, a popular hangout for local law enforcement officers. So even though, even though he was denied. He was still in the bar hanging out with these police officers. Which just blows my fucking mind. Right? Because um, you know how cops talk. <clears throat> Especially the 70s and 80s cops. So who knows what exactly he heard in that bar. Seriously. Um, so he did work a bunch of like menial stupid jobs. But then he finally gained employment with the state of California Division of Highways which is also known as the California Department of Transportation. So he was... (laughs) So um, now during this time, his relationship with Carnal, his mom, got really toxic and hostile. Um, They would constantly have arguments that their neighbors would overhear. Um, Kemper later described the arguments he had with his mother around this time as the following. My mother and I started in on horrendous battles just horrible battles violent and vicious i have never been in such vicious verbal battles with anyone before it would go to fists with a man but this was my mother and i couldn't stand the thought of my mother and i doing these things she insisted on it and just over stupid things i remember one roof razor was whether i should have my teeth cleaned like at a dentist um, which I'm sorry, as an adult, I can understand why, why mom, are you up in my business like that? Um, but you know, then again, my mom would be, and but you know, anyway, um, <laughs> so when he had saved enough money from his job at the department of transportation, um, he finally moved out to live with a friend in Alameda, California, um, there he still complained of being unable to get away from his mother because she would regularly call him and pay surprise visits which would be awful um now he did meet a student from turlock high school at 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 santa at a santa cruz beach um whom he became engaged with in march 1973 um the engagement broke off after Kemper's second arrest and his fiance's parents requested her name not be revealed to the public. Um, which I like <clears throat> because I feel like they would have been like, how did you not know? You know, and like some people, I don't know. I feel like some of these cases you can live with a monster and not know you're living with a monster. Um, 100%. So, and, and they might not even have been living together. They could have just be engaged, you know? So that still gives him lots of free time to do this stuff. Um, so the same year that Kemper started working for the highway division, 
Um, he was hit by a car while riding a motorcycle that he had recently purchased. Um, his arm was badly injured and he received a $15,000 settlement, which, you know, around now would be like 90,000, <laughs> uh, in the civil suit he filed against the car's driver as he was driving around in the 1969 Ford galaxy, he bought with some of his settlement money. He noticed a large number of young women hitchhiking and began storing plastic bags, knives, blankets, and handcuffs in his car. So this is where my love of the Great. 70s and 80s police bothers me because these girls would be like labeled hitchhikers and runaways. And so nobody looked into their deaths like, like they should have. Um, so this is the part that gets really creepy for me. And I have a little bit of a movie tidbit for this next part. So he started to give these women rides. <sighs> Right. He said, at first, I just picked up girls just to talk to them, just to try to get acquainted with people my own age and try to strike up a friendship, Kemper said. Now, according to him, he picked up over 150 girls without incident, <laughs> which is terrifying. <laughs> um, basically so from the book that i read basically what it is um he was practicing his social skills and his manipulation skills on these women that he was picking up he was practicing getting them to trust him and making them feel at ease and that to me is just fucking nuts <laughs> um but he later confessed that he couldn't suppress the urge to kill um, now later he was asked what crosses his mind when he sees a pretty girl and Kemper said, one side of me says, wow, what an attractive chick. I'd like to talk to her and date her. But then the other side of me says, I wonder how her head would look like on a stick. <laughs> and I just, I shouldn't laugh at that, but that's <laughs> kind of funny. Now, here's what gets me. So they actually use that line in American Psycho, both the movie and the book. But they attributed that line to Ed, something that Ed Gein had said. Not oh. Kemper. But Kemper was the one that said it. So fix yourself. <laughs> Get your facts straight, goddammit. Facts. Okay, so now... Um, now we're going to get into the murders. So, and they're, and they're quite graphic. I'm, so I'm, I'm posting another trigger warning. It's graphic. Um, so, but Kate's stuck with me. So she's just going to have to hear it. Um, it's, yeah. On May 7th, 1972, Kemper was driving in Berkeley, California, where he picked up two 18 year old hitchhiking students from Fresno state university. Mary Ann Pesci and Anita Marie, Anita Mary Luchessa with the pretense of taking them to Stafford University. After driving for an hour, he managed to reach a secluded wooded area near Alameda, California, with which he was familiar from his work at the highway department. Um, without alerting the passengers that he had changed directions from where they wanted to go, it was there that he handcuffed uh, Pesci and locked Luchessa in the trunk and then strangled and stabbed Pesci to death, uh, subsequently killing Luchessa in a similar manner. Kemper later confessed that while handcuffing Pesci, he brushed the back of his hand against one of her breasts and it embarrassed him. And he even said to her, whoops, I'm sorry, or something like that after grazing her breast, despite that he was going to murder her minutes later. Like that just <laughs> my bad accidental boob touch accidental boob touch right but that's like dude <laughs> you're apologizing for touching her tit but you're about to kill okay whatever um now kemper put both of the women's bodies in the trunk of his ford galaxy and returned to his apartment he stopped on the way he was stopped on the way by a police officer for having a broken tail light so he had the bodies in the trunk and he was stopped for a broken tail light, but the officer did not detect the corpses in the car. 
So he could have been caught after the first two murders. Um, now Kemper's roommate wasn't home. So he took the bodies into his apartment where he photographed and had sexual intercourse with the naked corpses before dismembering them. He then put the body parts into plastic bags, which he later abandoned near Loma Prita mountain. Um, before disposing of Pesci's and Lucessa's severed heads in a ravine, Kemper engaged in a rumination with both of them. Um, in August of that year, Pesci's skull was found on Loma Prita Mountain. Uh, an extensive search failed to turn up the rest of Pesci's remains or a trace of Lucessa. Now, mind you, he killed these girls in May. And they didn't even find her skull until August. That's insane. Right? Because, like, here's my thing about that is that he was literally caught. (laughs) Granted, it was for a broken taillight, but he was literally caught. And, yeah. That just, uh, meh. Okay. So now we're going to go to September. Um, I believe it's the same year. Yeah. So September um, 14th, 1972, Kemper picked up a 15 year old dance student named Akio Ku, who he decided to hit, who decided to hitchhike to a dance class after missing her bus. He again drove her to a remote area where he pulled a gun on Ku before accidentally locking himself out of his car. However, Ku let him back inside, despite the fact the gun was still in the car. Ma'am. <sighs> Once he was okay, back I'm inside. I'm not trying to victim blame, but like. I know. I'm, I'm trying real hard not to judge you right now, honey, but. It's like, excuse me? <laughs> like. Why? I would have, I would not have let him back in the car. No, especially with the gun. You had the gun. <sighs> but unfortunately, once he got back inside the car, he proceeded to choke her unconscious, rape her, and kill her. Um, Kemper's subsequently packed Ku's body into the trunk of the car, and he went to a nearby bar to have a few drinks and then returned to his apartment. I mean, that's ballsy as fuck. <laughs> Uh, now he later confessed that after exiting the bar, he opened the trunk of his car to admire his catch like a fisherman. Um, back at his apartment, he has sexual intercourse with the corpse, then dismembered and disposed of the remains in a similar manner as his previous two victims. Ku's mother called the police to report the disappearance of her daughter and put up hundreds of flyers asking for information but she did not receive any responses regarding her daughter's location or status, which is so sad. Um, Now, before I keep going, like we all know, I like the psychology of this stuff. I'm wondering if, because he was so nervous around women when they were alive, that the only way he could be intimate with them is to kill them. Cause I really, that's, that's the, what about his fiance though? But I couldn't find anything that they were ever intimate. So I feel like to get to that level, he couldn't do it unless they were dead. I mean, it's disgusting and it's foul and it's making me want to throw up. But I mean, I wonder if that was the case. So (sighs) now we're going to get to something that we all knew was going to happen. So on January 7th, 1973, Ed moved back in with his mom and was driving around the Cabrillo College campus where he picked up an 18-year-old student named Cynthia and Cindy Shaw. He drove to a wooded area and fatally shot her with a 22 caliber pistol. He then placed her body in the trunk of his car and drove to his mother's house where he kept her body hidden in a closet in his room overnight. When his mother left for work the next morning, he had sexual intercourse with and removed the bullet from Shaw's corpse, then dismembered her and decapitated her in his mother's bathtub. Now, with Shaw, he really 
push the envelope. So he kept Shawl's several. He kept Shawl's severed head for several days. That is a tongue twister. Uh, regularly engaging in a rumination with it, then buried it in his mother's garden, facing up toward her bedroom. According after his arrest, he stated that he did not. He did this because his mother always wanted people to look up at her. And that is just... <laughs> yeah. Here, Mom. Have the, the severed head of this bitch that I killed. Yeah. Looking, Looking up at you because you want people to look up at you. Now, he discarded the rest of Shaw's remains by throwing them off a cliff. And over the course of the following few weeks, all except her head and her right hand were discovered and quote-unquote pieced together like a macabre jigsaw puzzle. A pathologist determined that Shaw had been cut into pieces with a power saw. And then I feel like this next one, I feel like all that anger and rage that Kemper has pent up in him found its real target. Um... Because on August or April 20th, 1973, after coming home from a party, 52-year-old Clarnell Elizabeth Strandberg awakened her son with her arrival. While sitting in her bed reading a book, she noticed Kemper enter her room and said to him, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. And Kemper replied, no, good night. He then waited for her to fall asleep and snuck back into her room to bludgeon her with a claw hammer and slit her throat with a penknife. He then decapitated her and engaged in a rumination with her severed head and then used it as a dartboard. Kemper stated that he, quote unquote, put her head on the shelf and screamed at it for an hour and threw darts at it and ultimately smashed her face in. He also cut out her tongue and her larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. However, the garbage disposal could not bring down the tough vocal cords and ejected the tissue back into the sink. That seemed appropriate, Kemper later said, as much as she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years. Like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, that that's insane. <laughs> like, I mean, but like, I feel like if he had killed her in the beginning... I feel like all the other stuff wouldn't have happened. That's what I would feel like. And I know that I keep using the word. I, I keep using the word rumination, and I just want to explain to everybody. It is the um, active thrusting of a man's penis into or between one or more body parts. So like instead of the unlike fellatio where the person where the woman or the man whoever is the active stimulator in a rumination that's when a the, the person with the penis is the person that moves anyways <laughs> um now kemper hid his mother's corpse in a closet and went to drink at a nearby bar Upon his return, he invited his mother's best friend, 59-year-old Sarah Taylor, quote-unquote Sally Hallett, over to the house to have dinner and watch a movie. When Hallett arrived, Kemper strangled her to death to create a cover story that his mother and Hallett had gone away together on vacation. He subsequently put Hallett's corpse in a closet and obscured any outward signs of a disturbance and left a note to the police that read, Approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible, murderous butcher. It was quick asleep the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. I got things to do. <laughs> Already then. Right. So... Afterward, Kemper fled the scene and drove nonstop to Pueblo, Colorado, taking caffeine pills to stay awake for the over thousand thousand mile journey. He had three guns and a hundred rounds of ammunition in his car, 
and he believed he was the target of an active manhunt, which makes sense. I don't think, cause some people like when I was reading about this part, some people said that it was cause he was paranoid, but I don't think that was the case. I think he honestly was like, I'm not gonna get away with killing my mom because when people kill their family members, their family members are often the first people that get looked at by the police. So I really feel like in this case, he was justified to think that he was being hunted. Um, now, after not hearing any news on the radio about the murders of his mother and Hallett, when he arrived in Pueblo, he found a phone booth and called the police. He confessed to the murders of his mother and Hallett, but the police did not take his call seriously and told him to call back later. That makes literally no sense. <laughs> the fucking audacity of the 70s and 80s police officers <laughs> I'm sorry sir you you just called to confess that you killed her mom your mom and your best friend well we don't believe you but you can feel free to call back later what um so several hours later Kemper did call back asking to speak to an officer he personally knew. He confessed to that officer of killing his mother and Hallett, then waited for the police to arrive and take him into custody, where he also confessed for the murders of the six students. Now, this, this is the part that was creepy to me, this part right here. In this interview, when asked why he turned himself in, Kemper said the original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real or emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it any longer. Toward the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing. And at the point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it off. Now, <laughs> in my mind, okay, I truly believe that this this man didn't go you know what it's not worth it anymore he could have killed so many more people <laughs> and gotten away with it like this man really said you know what this isn't worth it this is too much I'm done I'm gonna turn myself in like they weren't even on to him they didn't even have him as a suspect and this man was like you know what I'm done I just, I, <laughs> oh, Ed. So now Ed, Edmund Kemper was indicted on eight counts of first degree murder on May 7th, 1973. He was assigned the chief public defender of Santa Cruz County, attorney Jim Jackson. Due to Kemper's explicit and detailed confession, his counsel's only option was to plead not guilty by reason of insanity to the charges. So Kemper actually tried to commit suicide twice while he was in custody, but the trial still went ahead on October 23rd, 1973. Now, um, three court appointed psychiatrists found Kemper to be legally sane. One of the psychiatrists, a Dr. Joel Fort, investigated his juvenile records and the diagnosis that he was once psychotic. Fort also interviewed Kemper, including under truth serum, and relayed to the court that Kemper had engaged in cannibalism, alleging that he had sliced flesh from his legs of his victims, then cooked and consumed these strips of flesh in a casserole. Yeah. Um... Nevertheless, Fort determined that Kemper was fully cognizant in each case and stated that Kemper enjoyed the prospect of the infamy associated with being labeled as a murderer. Kemper later recanted the confession of cannibalism. <clears throat> now, in my opinion of what I was able to get out of, out of all the stuff I read on Ed, I really do think he wasn't, uh, he wasn't actually a cannibal because he admitted to some pretty gruesome shit I don't think that he'd be like, you know what, though? Cannibalism's a little too far. So I'm just going to lie about that and say I didn't do it. I honestly think that he really didn't eat people. Um, 
Well, I feel like that wasn't really his motive. Like he didn't really care about that. Right. Like I, I feel like the 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 strangulation, the rape, and the killing was the goal. And so I don't think that him eating them would have really done anything for him. Um now California used the M. Naughton standard, which held that for a defendant to quote unquote establish a defense on the ground of insanity, it must be clearly proved that at the time of committing the act, the party was accused, the party accused was laboring under such a defective reason from disease of mind and not knowing the nature and quality of the act he was doing, or if he did know it, that he did not know he was doing what he was doing was wrong. sorry now Kemper appeared to have known the nature of his acts was wrong and he had shown signs of malice afterthought a forethought sorry on November 1st Kemper took the stand now this is interesting because most of the time when you see these big murder cases the last thing they do is put the fucking murderer on the stand but Kemper hopped him right up he testified that he killed the victims because he wanted them quote unquote for myself like possessions and attempted to convince the jury that he was insane based on the reasoning that his actions could not could have been committed only by someone with an aberrant abherent mind he said that two two beings inhabited his body and that when he when the killer personality took over he said quote kind of like it was it's kind of like blacking out um Now, this is this is where good old Ed gets nice and interesting, as if he wasn't interesting already. So on December, on November 8th, 1973, the six man, six woman jury deliberated for five hours before declaring Kemper sane and guilty on all counts. He asked for the death penalty. And requested death by torture. Like, Ed was like, all right, well, I guess I go big or home, go home. <laughs> well, I mean, he's not wrong, though. Right. However, however, with a moratorium placed on capital punishment by the Supreme Court of California, he instead received seven years to life for each count with these terms to be served concurrently and was sentenced to the California Medical Facility. So he avoided the death penalty. And I honestly don't know why. Like, California, you fucked up on that one. Cause, but honestly, they didn't because, in the long run, Kemper actually helped a lot of federal agencies with learning how to profile. So, I mean, he's the reason why quantico like mine hunter is a thing on on netflix because kemper was one of the ones they interviewed several times because he does not shut up um (laughs) now in the california medical facility kemper was incarcerated in the same prison block as other notorious criminals such as herbert mullen and charles manson Um, Kemper showed particular disdain for Mullen, who committed his murders at the same time in the same area as Kemper. Kemper described Mullen as a, quote, just a cold-blooded killer, killing everybody he saw for no good reason. (laughs) And I feel like I want to look at him and be like, but Ed, that's kind of what you were doing. Uh, murder's not funny. Okay. Uh, so Kemper manipulated and physically intimidated Mullen because Mullen was only five, nine. And so we all know that's a whole foot shorter than Kemper. Um, Kemper stated that Mullen had been, had a habit of singing and bothering people when someone tried to watch TV. So I threw water on him to shut him up. Then when he was a good boy, I give him peanuts. Herbie liked peanuts. That was effective because pretty soon he asked permission to sing. That's what you call behavior modification treatment. 
I cannot. <laughs> I mean, or you can call it Pavlov dog. Well, I just I think it's so funny that like I feel like okay, considering how smart he is. I feel like if Kemper grew up in a different environment, he never would have killed anybody and he would have been a psychiatrist or some shit. Like, I really feel like his environment had such a big impact on what he ended up doing for the rest of his life. Now, according to this, um, Kemper is remains among the general population in prison and is considered a, a model prisoner. Now, here's here's something else you're gonna love. So we've already established that he was doing shit in the criminally insane hospital he shouldn't have been doing. So Kemper was in charge of scheduling other inmates' appointments with psychiatrists. And he also was an accomplished craftsman of ceramic cups. Now, I told Kate about this already. This next one. He was a prolific reader of audiobooks for the blind. A 1987 Los Angeles Times article stated that he was the coordinator of the prison's program and had personally spent over 5,000 hours narrating books with several hundred completed recordings to his name. Uh, I want an audio book read to me by Edmund Kemper. (laughs) I love you. I I want, I I feel like that would be like just amazing to have him reading me a book. Like I just, I can't. Unfortunately, he was retired from these positions in 2015 after he experienced a stroke and was declared medically disabled. Um, Now, Kemper has always been forthcoming about the nature of his crimes, and he stated that he participated in interviews to save others like himself from killing. Um, Okay. At the end of his murder, no apparent motive interview, he said, there's somebody out there that is watching this and hasn't done that, hasn't killed people, but wants to and rages inside and struggles with that feeling or is so sure they have it under control. They need to talk to somebody about it. Trust somebody enough to sit down and talk about something that isn't a crime. Thinking the way that way isn't a crime. Doing it isn't just a crime it's a horrible thing it doesn't know when to quit and it can't be stopped easily once it starts so like he knew that he was a monster and he knew that he was like incapable of controlling himself so i kind of like like the fact that when he was interviewed he'd be like i hope somebody who's struggling with wanting to kill someone sees this and doesn't Right, but like at the same time, bruh. Right. <laughs> it's like if you were, if you had that much insight into yourself, why didn't you get more help? Like, I just. So. Kemper was actually first eligible for parole in 1979, but he was denied parole that year, as well as the parole hearings in 1980, 1981, and 1982. He subsequently waived his right to a hearing in 1985. He was denied parole at his 1988 hearing where he said, society is not ready in any shape or form for me. I can't fault them for that. Like, brah, if you were so insightful, why did you kill people? Ugh. Um. He was denied parole again in 1991 and 1994. He then waived his right to a hearing in 97 and again in 2002. He attended the next hearing in 2007 where he was denied again for parole. Prosecutor Adriane Simmons. Yeah, Adriane, I don't know. 
said, we don't care how much of a model prisoner he is because of the enormity of his crimes. Um, Kemper waived his right to hearing again in 2012 and he was denied parole in 2017 and is next eligible for parole in 2024. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Now, I did add some pulp, pop culture stuff to this because it just blows my mind. Okay. So one of the first things that I found was the Discovery Times show most evil featured Edmund Kemper in their episode on masterminds. Um, Kemper is described as an exotic quote unquote serial killer compared to 10 Bundy, John Wayne Gacy and Jeffrey Dahmer in the novel Black House by Stephen King and Peter Straub. Now, if anybody knows, I love Stephen King. So that's probably where I started getting my obsession with Kemper from. Um, there is a suicide girl model named Kemper who took her name from the serial killer. <laughs> of course. <sighs> now, here's what gets... Th this is one of the ones that I found that gets me, like, shooketh, right? So, extracts from Kemper's interviews have been used in numerous songs, including Love Slash Hate by Dystopia, Abomination Unseen by Devourment, Forever by the Berserker, Severed Head by Suicide Commando, Crave by Optimum Wound Profile, and he is discussed in many songs, such as Edmund Kemper Had a Horrible Temper by Macabre, Fortress by System of the Down, System of a Down, sorry, Temper Temper Mr. Kemper by the, by the Celibate Rifles, Murder by Seabound, and California by Church of Misery and Edmund Temper by Amigo the Devil. So like already then. Yeah, right. <laughs> now I did mention this before. Kemper was betrayed uh in the 2017 Netflix drama series Mindhunter surrounding the FBI research of the criminally insane. The actor's name was Cameron Britton. Um, and Britain received a nomination for the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Drama Series because of this role. That's now, awesome. if you ever want to freak yourself out. <laughs> Honey, they're listening to us. They're freaked out nine times out of ten. Don't mind. Google Edmund Kemper and then Google Cameron Britton. And the how close, how close they look to each other is fucking disturbing. <laughs> Like, downright fucking disturbing. Um, and then the last thing I have is Kemper has been the subject of multiple books. Um, I read two of these. So I read uh, Edmund Kemper, The True Story of the Brutal Co-Ed Butcher and The Co-Ed Killer, A Study of the Murders, Mutilations, and Matricide of Kemper, Edmund Kemper III. Um, there was also another book that I kind of breezed through. It was Edmund Kemper, The True Story of the Co-Ed Killer. Um, obviously, those are just some of them, but those are the ones that I looked into personally. And overall, uh, Ed just blows my mind. Yeah. Like, he just, he's so smart and so intuitive. I just, I really feel like this is a perfect nature versus nurture debate. In which case, nurture had a lot to do with what happened to him. But it also might be nature based on how freaking nuts his mother sounds. Well, yeah, and that's just it. It's like his family wasn't any better off, so maybe he was really born that way. But I feel like because his dad was a decent guy, I feel like he could have had a fighting chance if it was just his dad. Yeah. So... And it still just blows my mind how articulate he is. Like, there are so many interviews on YouTube of this guy. And he is so articulate. And he is able to express himself so clearly and so well. It's fucking scary. But I think part of the reason why Edmund Kemper really attracts me is because unlike other, like, serial killers, he was fucking smart like 
the only other like serial killer that I think even comes close to Edmund Kemper would be H.H. Holmes. Because he was stupid smart too. Like he got caught because he was scamming people, not because he was killing people. And I think the only reason why Edmund, Edmund Kemper got caught was because he turned himself in. Well, it's kind of like um, Al Capone too. He got caught for tax evasion. Right. Like, well, and I know uh, Richard Ramirez got caught on a speeding ticket, right? But I feel like he would have got caught eventually. <laughs> Right. Like, it's like one of some of these you're like, nah, you would have gotten caught. Like you, I feel you, you you were smarter than the average bear, but not by much. Right. I feel like Richard Ramirez is one of those where it's like, well, I definitely think he would have got caught eventually. I seriously think Ed would have got kept getting away with it. Like just by just by the fact that they couldn't find some of his victims' bodies at all. Nothing. And the only reason why they knew he did it was because he said he did it. Like, that's crazy to me. So, I, I don't know. But that's that's what we have for you this week. We have Edmund Kemper, the crazy co-ed killer person. Um, who was not a cannibal. Who what? Who was not a cannibal. Who was not a cannibal. No, I I, I mean, as much as, as I've, uh, I found different article, news articles and magazine articles where they were like, oh, he's definitely a cannibal. I really don't think he is. Just like everything, like again, like you said, there, if he's gonna lie, why would why would we pick that? Like, why is that the hill we're gonna die on? Right. <laughs> not the cannibal. Not the necrophilia. No. Not not the not the jerking off with severed heads. No, that's okay. But I draw the line at being a cannibal. Right. Like. <laughs> like. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think that part. I do believe him when he was like, nah, I didn't really do that. Um, but yeah. So next episode, Kate's going to lead it and I'm just going to chime in like a, like a little kid. Um, but I have a couple more episodes I'd like like to do. (laughs) What'd you you say? You like a little kid. Basically I'm going to be like, what? And who? And just, you know, just, background noise um but i have a couple more i haven't gotten any more requests so if anybody else has any requests for us you um you can reach us on the hot mess witchy express um instagram page uh or you can message us on our individual instagram pages or tiktoks um but yeah so uh as always if you can't love yourself how in the hell you're gonna love anybody else can i get an amen amen all right y'all we'll see you next time bye bye